We're in Ezra chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you might open it there. If you have a device, you might navigate there. Ezra chapter 4. We're going to look at chapter, all of chapter 4 and sneak into chapter 5 a little bit. The topic, Ezra lists the many strategies Israel's enemies used to discourage them from building the temple. The title of our message, Weapons of Mass Discouragement. Father, thank you for our morning. Great to worship you, Lord, as a group and lift our praises to you. Now we turn our attention to your word. We're aware, Lord, that you've foreseen this meeting and that we're all here for a, a reason. Maybe not the reason we think, Lord, but a reason that you've drawn us so that you can share something with us, something precious and beautiful about your love and grace. Work through your word by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. What would you say is the devil's most effective weapon? Now, while you're thinking about that, let me tell you a pulpit story. It's about an old demon who was planning to retire. He put up for auction all the weapons which he had accumulated over the years. They range from envy to laziness to gossip to lust. Off to one side lay a harmless-looking instrument labeled discouragement. It was priced far above the rest. When a junior demon asked about the weapon, the old demon said, many people have been able to resist attacks from my other weapons, but as soon as I deployed discouragement, they would fall into the trap and it would be easy to defeat them. Is discouragement really that powerful a weapon? Let's ask Elijah. In an incredible spiritual showdown on Mount Carmel, Elijah embarrassed and then put to death 400 prophets of the false god Baal. Queen Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah. He reacted by running for his life. At one point, and I quote, he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Later, while hiding in a cave, he complained, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. And now they're seeking to take my life. After this bout with discouragement, Elijah did very little except anoint Elisha to take his place. So yes, discouragement is a powerful weapon against the servant of God. The first wave of exiles who returned to Jerusalem had rebuilt the altar of the Lord and established daily and annual sacrifices. They were keeping the seven calendar feasts of the Lord and they had laid the foundation for the temple. Then we read in verse 4 of chapter 4, the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. And then drop down to verse 24. Thus the work of the house of God which is in Jerusalem ceased and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Discouragement was the primary weapon that halted them in their building. You and I are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are also individually a building project of the Lord's as he works each day to complete what he has begun in each of us. Discouragement is going to be a key weapon that will be used against us to bring building to a halt. If we're not careful, it could even end our usefulness as servants of Jesus. I'll organize my comments around two points. Number one. Discouragement should come as no surprise to you. And number two, discouragement will keep coming as a strategy against you. 
Let's take a look at why we shouldn't be surprised by it in the opening verses. Benjamin Franklin, in a 1789 letter, wrote, Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency, but in this world nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes, right? The truth is, death isn't really certain, not for a person in Christ. When Jesus comes for his church, he'll resurrect the dead, but then living believers will be raptured without ever dying. And so there's going to be a whole bunch of people who go to heaven without dying, I've put in for that list. (laughs) Hopefully that'll come to pass, but we'll see. But anyway, I was thinking about that because I was sitting down with TurboTax wondering if I should actually start my taxes or not. I do that for a while. I just look at the screen for a while. Then I back off. It's intimidating. And then I thought, well, if it isn't death and taxes, I'll tell you what, discouragement and taxes would have been a better phraseology because... Uh, both of those are certain in this life. And so let's take a look at their discouragement beginning in verse one. Now in the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, oh, let us build with you for we seek your God as you do. We have sacrificed to him since the days of Ershadadon, the king of Assyria who brought us here. But Zerubbabel And Yeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses of Israel said to them, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. A little bit of history here. After the northern kingdom of Israel fell to the Assyrians and the Jews were carried off, foreigners resettled the land. It was common to acknowledge that each nation had its own local deities. After settling in the land, they added the God of Israel as another one of their many gods. And so these guys were pagan idolaters. And uh, when they say that we offered sacrifice to your God, that's a dead giveaway because you couldn't sacrifice to the God of Israel except at the temple in Jerusalem. And so they had some kind of strange form of Jehovah worship that they had adopted. And so uh, they seem sincere, and then uh, Zerubbabel's answer is going to seem harsh, but you have to know what's really going on. Compromise with these guys would only bring contamination to the work. Reminds me of the admonition of the Apostle Paul that we not become unequally yoked with non-believers. We are definitely to be among non-believers sharing Jesus Christ, but we shouldn't enter into partnerships with them. We shouldn't, for example, knowingly marry an unbeliever. That's a, probably the a greatest example of being unequally yoked. The idea is a yoke of oxen, you know, in that uh, yoke, and then they have to work together. And if you're yoked together with an unspiritual person, an unsaved person, that's going to chafe and hurt, and it's not going to work out. And so we should be careful, uh, even out in the world, of having partnerships in business and things like this with those that are unequally yoked. Numerous business situations where one partner is a Christian and wants to use honest weights and balances and the other decides that it's okay to take money under the table or to cut corners, those kinds of things. And unless we all agree on the standard of the word of God, that's going to be a tough road. And so be careful about that. Be in the world, but not of it. uh, And uh, nothing will cause you more discouragement at some point than being unequally yoked, especially since it was your choice to begin with. 
Verse four, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. The returnees had a lot to be encouraged about. God was for them. They had God's word to guide them. The king of Persia was for them. They had the government's word to guard them. All the more reason to think discouragement would be so effective a strategy. Nothing, uh, when discouragement hits right after encouragement, it, it, it strikes a real blow. We saw that with Elijah. Elijah had a lot of wonderful things in his ministry, but that episode with the prophets of Baal, that's right up there with some of the great things that a servant of God has ever done. 400 prophets of Baal that were proven false uh, by the prophet of God and then killed uh, to show what their worth was. And then the next thing you know, he's hiding in a cave because the queen says, well, I'm going to kill you. And uh, you would have thought that he would understand that the Lord was for him and who could be against him, but instead he ran for his life. It's a passage in the New Testament that declares people are ensnared by the devil, describing them as having been taken captive by him to do his will. It's 2 Timothy. They aren't possessed. They're influenced to oppose the things of God and the people of God. They become the major delivery system for the weapon of discouragement. Ever wonder why you have so much drama at work? Man, doesn't it seem like people just don't want to get along at your workplace and that there's, they're always doing weird stuff that, that, that you know, is, is just silly and stupid and causing problems? Well, it's because they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And they're being influenced to cause discouragement. Again, not possessed, just influenced. Thinking more highly of themselves and throwing these things down. And, and then you come and you think, oh, I have to get a different job. I can't take it here anymore. And sometimes you need to step back and say, oh, I should expect this. In fact, it should have come sooner. Any, if I have a good day at work, I should be very thankful because that's a, uh, it's not just a workplace. It's a war place. It's a place where the devil is trying to destroy my life and my walk with the Lord, and he's going to use people, sometimes even Christians, to discourage me. Verse 5, hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The word counselors is variously translated in different versions. Uh, some people think they are bribed officials. It doesn't matter. The thing you get from this is that their enemy started a campaign against the returnees using all the men and all the means that were at their disposal to discourage the building. Now drop down to the last verse of chapter 4, verse 24. This is the proper chronological order. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. The weapon of discouragement struck a debilitating blow to the building of the temple. The work ceased, and if you work out the math, it was for 15 years. And so they were off to this fantastic start, and uh, then all of a sudden they were discouraged by the people surrounding them, and they quit working for 15 years. Like Elijah, the Jews had experienced a spiritual high only to be victimized by discouragement. Now, I'll admit, some people are less susceptible to discouragement than others, but it's not something anyone can avoid. It's just part of the human condition, and it's certainly part of being a Christian because it is a weapon in the devil's arsenal. It will always be there as a weapon. It is always coming. 
It's coming, but discouragement can be overcome. Chapter 5 picks up the story at the end of the 15-year work stoppage, so go there, chapter 5, verse 1. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Several books ought to be read in conjunction with Ezra. While we're going through this study, we're going to do Ezra and Nehemiah for sure. I would suggest that you read Nehemiah and Esther. Those are the books of history about this same period of restoration. And Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi are the books of prophecy about this period of restoration. And it's an important period of time Uh, in the life of the nation of Israel, and there's a lot of insight that we are gleaning from it. And so as we go through this, uh, kind of a challenge there, let's read all of those. If you're lazy, like me, you can have version read it to you. (laughs) Sit there with my cup of coffee in the morning, cat on my lap, (laughs) not by choice, but push the button and Alexander Scoresby or somebody reads to me from the Bible. It's nourishing and wonderful. Anyway, Nehemiah, Esther, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It sounds like a lot, but it's not. At the end of verse 24 of chapter 4, the writer jumped ahead 15 years to when Darius was king of Persia. And that's exactly where Haggai begins. I'm going to read you some verses from his prophecy. He says, this is Haggai 1.1, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, you bring in little. You eat, you don't have enough. You drink, you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. And so one of the things Haggai concentrates on is that they're not experiencing physical blessing. Under the old covenant between God and Israel, the Abrahamic covenant, God said, I will bless you physically and materially for your obedience, and I will curse you uh, for your disobedience. And so they had quit working, and then suddenly they found that their crops weren't coming in, they didn't have enough to eat or drink, their clothes didn't keep them warm. It's one of those things, man, this coat used to keep me warm last winter, but not this winter. Uh, Everything was going wrong. Anytime things were going wrong like that in Israel, especially multiple things, it was a sign that they were out of sync with obeying God because he had promised to bless them physically and materially for obedience. God's promises to us are not physical and material. They are spiritual. And before you say, doggone it, uh, I'd rather have any of the spiritual blessings that belong to us than all of the material blessings that go with living in this world. They're all superior and to be desired. But so they're having a tough time, and so Haggai comes along, and um, he encourages them. Now, one of the goals of the devil in using discouragement is to get you to quit serving the Lord. It's pretty clear from this prophecy that discouragement is no excuse to slow down or to quit building for the Lord. 
That should be something that doesn't even come into your understanding. I tell married couples, I say, you should never even mention the word divorce. It's just not something that is on, you know, the agenda of a Christian couple. There are some grounds for divorce, I know that, but I'm talking about just people who are not getting along. And if you're a Christian, you should know that discouragement shouldn't keep you from serving the Lord, uh, slowing down or quitting. I hear all the time about believers in Christ who no longer attend any fellowship because of some discouragement they suffered at a church. There are more people like that in Hanford and Lemoore than there are people in churches. Something happened at a church between them and an individual or them and a leader or them and their pastor, and they've had it. Some of it's extremely petty. Some of it is genuine, and it caused discouragement. They said, I don't need this anymore. I quit. They uh, have withdrawn to their caves, and they're living their lives there. They're giving no thought to the fact that they are living stones meant to be a part of the building the Lord's precious church on earth is meant to be. Uh, And so don't let discouragement do that to you. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Just like that, they returned to the work. It's attributed to the word of God as spoken through the prophets. And so listen, when you are discouraged, and especially if you are thinking about quitting and withdrawing to your house, as it were, or some cave like Elijah, just know that you have no permission from God to do that. You are out of his will. It's easy for me to talk to you this morning because you're, you're all here at church. And so this isn't one of those, you know, landmines where I'm, I'm exhorting you, oh, you better get to church. Yeah, Gene, I'm at church. This is just a real situation. You all know people who don't go to church anymore because of some, maybe they've never told you why, but it's because of some discouragement at church. Nobody said hello to me. You know what's funny about church? There's people who say no one said hi to me, and then there's people who say everyone said hi to me. And, and I guess we just, we just need personality meters. I'm, I'm serious about this. There are people who are offended because no one came and greeted them and asked them who they were and things like that. I totally understand that. And then there are people who are offended because everybody did that and they seem too nosy. And so I want to tell you, it's easy to be discouraged. If you really want to be, it's right there all the time. And, and so, uh, you know, you don't have permission, though, to quit going to church because of that discouragement. And if it's a real issue, you know, something really happened that is significant, not just, you know, um, well, then, then you need to deal with that as well uh, because we don't have God's permission. And so anybody that you know that isn't, that's a Christian, they're in Christ and they're not associated with a local fellowship, they're just wrong. And you don't need to try and convince them that they're wrong or find, you just say, hey, you're just wrong. You need to repent. Well, wait a minute. No, there's nothing more to talk about. Sometimes, you know, there's nothing more to talk about. If you want a verse, it's Hebrews 10, I think it's 25. It says, don't forget, uh, forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Are you assembling together with other Christians? No. Then you're in violation of that verse. You're sinning against the Lord. You need to repent and pick a church. And and, um, maybe you can discourage someone else because that's what's gonna happen. We discourage each other all the time. We don't mean to. Well, sometimes we do mean to, but most of the time we don't. Young men that wanna go into the ministry, 
The first thing that I say to them is, how do you deal with discouragement? How are you with discouragement? Because you're gonna be discouraged about the ministry almost all the time. There's always somebody else to compare yourself to. There's always a, a warfare going on. People's lives are, are you know, exploding and imploding and things like that. Uh, it is a very key weapon. Pastors get discouraged. They, a lot, it's popular now to take sabbaticals. When I was going to college, college professors take sabbaticals. They're working uh, on their thesis or they're studying abroad or something like that. Mostly when pastors take sabbaticals, it's a paid vacation. And uh, I, I just can't get behind. I'm sorry. I am, I'm on record as being against sabbaticals because essentially you're saying you're burned out. You can't take it anymore. You're discouraged and you want to go to some cave and hang out. And God doesn't give you permission to do that. You have to work through it and press forward and find the Holy Spirit in your work. And so verse 2 Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua. It's either Jeshua or Joshua. They're interchangeable, so I don't want you to think I'm going crazy. The son of Jozadak rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Just like that, they returned to the work attributed to that prophet. And so, uh, verse 3, at the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shether Bosnai and their companion. We're going to come into some names here that I can't pronounce. Uh, they came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Then accordingly, we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. Then a written answer was returned concerning this matter. And so the enemies of Israel wanted to know the names of those working on the temple. Have you ever... Uh, you've seen people, you know, they get pulled over by the police and say, I want your badge number. Oh, no. And, you know, because they're obviously going to follow it up with a complaint and hope to get the guy fired because they were driving 55 in a 25 zone and that's their right as an American. But, uh, you know, that kind of a thing. And so this is that kind of a threat. It's like, we want to know, we want names because we're going above your head. Regardless, this time, discouragement was ineffective. Make note of that. Discouragement need not be effective. It can be avoided, not just overcome. There are probably many ways to avoid it. The one highlighted in this situation is knowing you are in God's will, doing God's work. If you know you're in the will of God, doing the work of God, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says to you or thinks about you because God is for you and who can be against you. It's Discouragement is geared towards getting you to think you're not in God's will and that you must not be doing God's work. And so then you get all Twitterpated and worried and concerned. And so uh, it's important that you, you understand uh, that you're in the will of God doing the work of God. And then the Holy Spirit can protect you against discouragement. It can be ineffective because you just want to hear the voice of Jesus one day telling you, well done for the work that he called you to do. The absolute best words I can quote regarding discouragement are those of Jesus on the night before he died on the cross. It's a profound understatement to say that his disciples were discouraged. One of them turned out to be a traitor. Their mission for all they could see had failed miserably and their own lives were in danger. Do you remember Jesus' words to them? They are words to us too. He said this, let not your heart be troubled 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Your heart needs to believe those words of Jesus. And the more you do, the less you will be troubled by discouragement. Can you imagine being totally discouraged? You make an appointment with your pastor. You come in, you pour out your heart, you talk about the discouragement. It's very real, it's, it's, it's sincere. And then I just say to you, don't let your heart be troubled. You're going to heaven. I'm done. How come when Jesus says that, it's profound, but when somebody says that to you, now I'm even more discouraged, and I'm certainly never coming to Calvary again, and I'm going to tell stories about that pastor. You don't want to talk to that guy. He says what Jesus says, but it doesn't sound the same. You understand what I'm saying, right? Let not your heart be troubled, Jesus said. I mean, he's on his way to the cross. He understands what's going on with these disciples. They poured their whole lives into this mission that they didn't understand. Tough times were coming. Most of them were gonna be martyred later on. And he said, "Don't, don't be troubled about this. You believe in God, believe in me. We're all gonna have a reunion in heaven and it's gonna be pretty cool. Number two, discouragement will keep coming as a strategy against you. You're familiar with what is called a flash forward. In Dickens, A Christmas Carol, Scrooge experiences a flash forward as the ghost of Christmas future takes him to see what his life and death will be like if he does not change his selfish ways. In Terminator 2, Judgment Day, can't believe I mentioned this, there's a flash forward scene of nuclear destruction that the characters in the present day are working to prevent. Now, we skip verses 6 through 23 in chapter 4 because they are a flash forward. They give a broad overview of resistance to the work of rebuilding the temple and the city of Jerusalem all through the reigns of several Persian kings extending into the days of Nehemiah. Why did Ezra use this literary device? I don't know for sure, but I can suggest one reason. It establishes that discouragement is always coming. It never ends. Verse 6, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes also, one, two, three names I can't pronounce, and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic language. And so the enemies made good on their threats to expose the returnees to those higher up in the government, and they kept doing that. You've heard the expression that begins, tough times don't last. Well, they do, or at least they can We've been taught to think that God will end our tough time just as soon as we learn the lesson or figure out something spiritual. That thought will only set you up for further discouragement. It's not going to help to think that, uh, you know, you learned something and now the discouragement has to leave. It's just going to be redoubled. It's a weapon in Satan's arsenal. Verse 8, Rahum, the commander of the, uh, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Rahum, the commander, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of Dionites, and then, man, these weird people. Let's do it together. Afarsathites. Afarsathites. Man, I would change my nationality if I were that. Tarpalites. 
uh, people of Persia and Erech and Babylon and Shushan, the Dehavites and the Elamites, the rest of the nations whom the great and noble Osnapper took captive. <laughs> if your name is Osnapper, you want people to say the great and noble Osnapper. It's like, I wonder if they got the great and noble Oz from that, just thinking that. Great and powerful Oz, is that what it is? Yeah, that's a Bible ripoff right there. Uh, they took captive and settled the cities of Samaria and the remaining, uh, remainder beyond the river and, and so forth. I like that. So there was a lot more they said, but even the writer, of, even Ezra didn't want to say it. Ever feel like everyone is against you? They just might be. Uh, and sometimes I think we can be paranoid, but sometimes everyone is against you. This is a copy of the letter that they sent him. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river, and so forth. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. They're building the rebellious and evil city, and they're finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it now be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Remember, I said non-believers are taken captive by the devil. One of the devil's titles is the accuser. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Whenever you are falsely accused, he is at some point in the chain its cause. False accusations come from the accuser. Verse 14, now because we received support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces. They have incited sedition within the city in former times for which cause this city was destroyed. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? It was destroyed as a discipline from God for the rebellion of his people against him, not their rebellion against other earthly kings. Sure, it was destroyed at the hands of people like the Babylonians, but that's because God raised them up to deal with his people. And so these people that had settled the land, these non-believers, they had no idea what was really going on. To them, it was all politics and, uh, you know, underhanded politics and, and falsehoods and all the things that go on in the world. And they, they really didn't understand what the Lord God was doing or who they were dealing with. Verse 16, we inform the king that if this city is built and its walls completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. The king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, to the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria, and to the remainder beyond the river, peace, and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me. I gave command and a search has been made. And it was found that this city in former times has revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax, tribute, and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? By this point, by the way, the temple had been rebuilt. Only the walls surrounding Jerusalem lay in ruins. The king said, until the command is given by me, that left them hope, which would be realized when this same king gave permission to his servant Nehemiah to return and build the walls. Verse 23, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum, 
Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. This time the returnees did not cave in to discouragement. They worked right through it. They stopped building the walls because essentially they were good citizens. The king had given a decree. Uh, now the king is Artaxerxes. It's no longer Cyrus who had originally decreed they could build. Uh, Artaxerxes says, yeah, you better have them stop until I can really research this matter. And sure, they came with an army and, 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 you know, to back up what they were doing. But they ceased because uh, they had to. You know, there are times, you know, that, that things are not going to go the way that we want them to go. Whether it's yeah, churches all the time, and not so much around here, I don't think, but when I was in Southern California, churches were always in violation of building codes. And it would always be a thing where the government is, you know, trying to destroy churches and stuff. And no, they just want to make sure your church doesn't burn down with everybody in it. Because they know that old Uncle Joe is going to be doing the electrical work. And that Uncle Joe can't see anymore. He doesn't, he, and he's colorblind. We, when we came here, I don't know if I can explain this properly, but in this, this little hallway here, we, use it, we call it the copier room. There's, some, there's a copier in there. And uh, there's a wall plug. And it was, it, part of it, it is, was covered by a piece of wood, like a little channel. And we, we always had kind of trouble with it. So we finally took that channel off. Well, the Romex, the proper electrical cord, came in through the wall. And then somebody had taken an extension cord and cut the two ends off of it and just kind of wired it. And so this extension cord was all that was running you know, in that channel to the plug. And so I thought, well, I dodged a bullet there. And I, we're always finding interesting stuff like that here in this building because of Uncle Joe. And <laughs> churches are always trying to save money, and they can save money by having their nearly blind electrician come in and do the work for them. And so, uh, but you know, so down there was always fights, you know, all the, oh, the zoning laws and all the building codes and all that. And I remember when we. Uh, at Calvary San Bernardino, we bought a building. It was an existing building. It had been open for five years, a five-year-old building. It was a big furniture store called the Red Barn. It was in the shape of a barn. It was a cool building. And uh, we went down there, and it seemed like the building department was against us. And so I finally went down there, and I, I talked to one of the guys. I forget what his title was, and he said, look, he goes, all we're doing is asking you to do what the building code says, and we don't show leniency to churches anymore because when we do, we get burned because they always take it too far. And so, uh, so all they were doing was to ask us what the law actually said without giving, you know, cutting corners and things like that. And uh, so, okay, that's what you do. And so that's what these guys did. They had to stop. But the contrast is, earlier they stopped because of some kind of discouragement. And it's to show you how powerful a weapon that is. I'm guessing a lot of us are discouraged on some level. Maybe not your, you know, maybe you're completely discouraged. You, you know, I've been in those kind of pity parties in my life, you know, where, where I can think of some way that everything that's going on in my life is wrong and bad and, you know, retarded or whatever and stuff. And I, I just, you know, I can just, you know, you think this is, oh, no, I have a way of thinking of that that's completely different than you do. Or maybe generally you're an encouraged person, but there's certain areas of your life that are discouraging. 
but I, I'll bet a lot of us are, are in that boat. Learn from Elijah and don't, uh, get this, don't cave in to it. Get it? Cave in. Hey, you know what? You will remember that. I know it's goofy. I don't like being stupid. I have to be stupid in order that you guys can remember this stuff. I said, Lord, please don't make me say cave in in front of the church. You have to, my son. I'm discouraged about that. But anyway, let not your heart be troubled. It's not me saying that. It's the Lord. And those words really, if you think about it, they're first a comfort. What a tremendous comfort. Lord, I'm so discouraged. My life is falling apart. This happened and that happened. And the Lord, I mean, you can see the Lord just putting his arms around you saying, my, my child, let not your heart be troubled. And so at first it's just a comfort. But it's actually more than that because they're the words of Jesus. It's a comfort and then it's a command. Stop letting your heart be troubled is what it really means. Does that always happen immediately? No. I think that's where we get even more discouraged in the Christian life because somebody gets up and says, right now, snap your fingers and you won't be discouraged. You don't need to be discouraged. You can give. And you know what? Some people are able to do that. And that works on some. Maybe in your life, there are certain discouragements that you've been able to overcome that way, but others just seem to linger on and stay there. But you're still in the same boat. Jesus is still saying, don't let your heart be troubled. If this is gonna be a tough one, then you're gonna have to struggle with it and you're gonna have to trust me. You believe in God, believe in me and that these words are powerful. And if nothing else takes the edge off of your discouragement, I'm coming for you. You may not die, but if you do, one way or the other, we're gonna be in heaven together and I'm building a mansion for you, which is just standing for all the things that you're gonna have for eternity. And so don't quit, don't fall back, keep serving the Lord, work through your discouragement, and you'll be glad you did.